So kia ora ite atikaraiti, tēnā koutou, welcome back to school. And if you're new here, you're in great company because as mentioned, we're all new here. We haven't done this before, we don't know what we're doing. It's our first Sunday, um, a big ups to all the guys who came along yesterday to continue to demolish our old building, the insides of it. If you've ever wanted to put your fist through some jib and have no one be cross with you, um, these working parties are a good opportunity, though um, if you break bones in your fist, then people will be cross with you. <laughs> we don't want that. It's been, they've been doing a stunning job, and there's more work to do in our mix of doing things. Um, we've had to shift, we're still shifting a bunch of stuff out of the church, and I came across stuff. We've got history. Look at it. Isn't this a cool looking suitcase? That's not a fake one they've just built. It's a. Uh, it, it had in it, and I found in this, look at this, the original iPad sleeve. <laughs> and in this, I found a book with the minutes of the North New Brighton Baptist Church. I'd like to uh, read you a tiny excerpt from it, from the minutes held on April the 27th, 1955. The pastor reported on behalf of the committee appointed to consider the matter of the erection of the new sanitary conveniences. <laughs> Did I mention where the toilets were? <laughs> we have a history. We tend to forget this because in our culture we live in the now, but we come from somewhere. And we've moved before. We moved from the building in North New Brighton in, and built a building where the current Parkland's library is. And then we ended up buying this mall and um, proceeding down the road. I'm, I'm sorry, I did want to have a procession from that building into here. And I had carefully found the one remaining plastic pot plant. It's kind of like paper people, it just it flips off the tongue. And I thought we could just you know, do a procession along, but uh, logistics got in the way. Um, we're always on a journey. And when you do that, there's this funny kind of anticipation. What did you feel when you were coming here? What's going on in you when you're coming here? I'm thinking, is it all going to work? What's going to go wrong? I'm thinking, how comfortable are the chairs, particularly for older people, and can you get up and get down? Um, we approach, there's always this anticipation. So, just for a moment or two, um, I'd like to have a little bit of interaction today, so if you're happy to talk to uh, two or three people around you, you have a moment or two to say, what were you anticipating when you came here? Okay, your chance. If you don't know them, say hi, swap names, that kind of stuff, and then I'll come back. Okay, off you go. Excellent. Hey, lovely to have you talking together. I hate the fact that I interrupt you, but I will. Two weeks ago, Linda and I were preparing to ride the Hefe, and we were nervous. It was with my brother and his family, and they're all really fit, um, so we weren't sure if we had enough fitness. 
um, we had to pack really light. Um, my brother had sort of given us the hard talk to say, uh, listen, you can have a set of clothes that you're riding and maybe something to change into with the hut, but that's it. You know, put back on your wet clothes because we've got a bit. And so we didn't know if we had enough with us. And then it was the business of spending three days on a hard bike seat. Um, and uh, we didn't know what the weather would do because this is New Zealand. And it struck me there are some parallels here. Here we are with harder seats, packing light because everything has to be packed in and out. And not sure how it will go. And that's how journeys are. Any journey involves some discomfort and the unknown and that kind of, how's this going to go? And usually some learning. And the first Baptist churches believed this. They, um, they knew, they used to think that church was about being on a journey. They called it being on the way in the fray. They're on the way meaning we're traveling together. We don't know it all, but we're figuring it out as we go along. And on the fray meant that we're going to have some fights along the way. We're going to have conflict and difficulty. There will be trouble and strife, but that's part of how we learn. Last week, Kyron spoke at the community hall. I hear you had a great time. He spoke about an encounter with Jesus and the disciples and an oppressed man along the way, which they hadn't expected. They came across it, and what were they going to do? And there was a fray, and with Jesus, they sorted it out. And the early Baptist reckoned that the challenge for us all the time is to figure out how best to live as a follower of Jesus at this time and this place because no one else has been here. Here, now. So we can learn from other people, but no guarantees. And in fact, the first name they had for Christians was followers of the way. It's that's on the way. It pops up in, in as early as Acts 9.2. They talk about those who belong to the way because somehow the early followers of Jesus knew following Jesus was a journey. And here we are, camping in a school hall on the way. We're pilgrims, and we're sharing some journey together. And we've been wandering our way through the book of Luke, looking, following the disciples as they try and see, well, who is this Jesus character? Looking to see where their stories and our stories might connect, because they don't know it all either. They're just doing what's next. They're pilgrims. And Jesus has been wandering around Galilee. He's been showing people that what he said in that synagogue when he first stood up to say, this is what I'm about, well, he's showing them, are you going to live that way? And here's what he said, which you've heard before, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, to the prisoners, sorry, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Okay. Now, we've been making our way through Luke. I've skipped just a tiny bit. It kind of got in the way with celebration services. We're going to be on um, Luke chapter 9, so if you have a Bible handy, or you're reading on a smartphone, or um, then drag yourself off Facebook for a moment, and um, we're going to go into Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. 
If the people there do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now that reads pretty quickly. Think about this for a moment. Up until now, to follow Jesus is to hang around with Jesus, and he does these miracles. He feeds people, he heals people. It's it's kind of cool. Isn't that nice? And wherever Jesus goes, you go. And mostly, they've been hanging around in Galilee, which is kind of home territory. But what's changing? Now he's sending them off. Is he going to go with them? No, he's sending them out. They're going to be on their own. They're going to be on their some kind of hickory or journey. And you know that anticipation? How's it going to go? Some of you are feeling it. Um, I imagine the Smiths are thinking about their new house. How's it going to be when we move in? How's it going to be Christmas holidays? Who's going away? Who's planning that stuff? How's it going to go? That kind of anticipation thing. So they're going to be feeling nervous. Let's drill down a tiny bit. He gave them power and authority. Well, there's a kind of religious language. One, uh, one writer wrote about this. He said, power, well, that's ability. Ability to do stuff. And then he said, authority, well, that's kind of permission to do stuff. You can do this. I'll give you an example. In the, when I was 20, a long time ago, I, was, I played in a band, I practiced my guitar, and I got really sick of playing by myself, so I thought, I'm going to try busking. So I, um, and the deal is, uh, in the time, I think it's still the case, I think you're allowed to go and busk f- um, without a permit at the arts centre. So I picked up my stuff and I went down and I basically practiced my guitar in front of the arts centre and I earned more money per hour than I think I ever have since. Um, I, I, I think uh, probably people were being um, uh, sympathetic to me. I don't know. Um, but the thing was, I had an ability, and I had permission to use that ability. Right? That's what Jesus does. He sends us out. He says, I'm giving you authority. You have ability. You can do something. And I'm giving you permission to use that authority. Right? You're allowed to. Okay, that's how he sends them out. And he sends them out to drive all, uh, out all demons and cure diseases. And uh, he sent them out, and I've got that in red just because apparently the Greek for that is the word they use for apostle. I'm always still really confused about who can claim themselves to be an apostle. Okay, I've read lots of stuff about it, and ah, good luck to them. Um, but that sense of being sent out. And then it says to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Well, what's that about? Well, proclaiming the kingdom of God, we would typically think of that as evangelism, the good news of Jesus. Talk about what is this God like? That's not that hard. Um, the evangelism thing, I think, that scares most of us. But actually, just to go, this is how it is in my following Jesus. This is what God is like. And in fact, the guy, now, I couldn't quite pin this down. He kind of said the Greek word for the um, kingdom of God was evangelism, to evangelize, and the Greek word for the heal the sick had to do with the word that has the root of um, therapy, therapeutic. So he said, this guy said, so that's basically evangelism and therapy. And I thought, you know, from heal the sick, but I thought more about it and thought, this is lovely because this is telling people the good news and this is setting things right. Because healing is setting things right. 
And we know uh, that's a, a line stolen out of the message version of the Lord's Prayer, to set the world right. That's part of God's mission. So, have ability and permission to use it. Now pause for a moment. If you have a paper people person in front of you, I'm not asking you to pronounce it. I just want you to think for a moment, what kind of abilities do you have? You, just at the moment, what, what are you good at? If you have no idea how to answer that, what comes easily? What do you love doing? If you have no idea of any answers about that, ask someone next to you, someone who knows you, what am I good at? If you feel brave enough, write some of that stuff on the paper person. Because when we're sent out, the thing that we do take with us is we take us, don't we? Okay, just, you've got 30 seconds to think about that. We'll get you talking again in a moment. Okay, second part of the thing passage talks about is take nothing for the journey. No staff, that's not people, that's kind of a thing for make walking easier. No bread, no money, no extra shirt, so that bread stays here. Um, and whatever house you enter. So how many people here, if your son or daughter came to you or your best friend and said, I'm going to go to Kiri Kiri, um, but I'm planning to go out taking no money, no change of clothing, no sleeping bag, no extras. How many people here would say, yeah, go to it? I see a hand. Uh, two, three, three hands. I just want to take a note of the age of the people who raised their hands. Good on you guys. They're all young. Yep. It's an interesting sucker. I, I remember teaching at... Uh, teaching a, a, a missions course and having three young adult women basically say that's what they want to do. And I, I remember thinking, what do I say to you? Um, and they were quite keen to hitchhike and tell people about Jesus. And I, I remember thinking, half of me wants to say, go for it. You will find out how real God is this, in this. And the other half of me um, says, oh, that could go so wrong. And then I was thinking, what would I do if it was my daughter? And I remember thinking, actually, I need someone other than me to say to my daughter, go for it, take that big risk. Because as a parent, I kind of, that, that's hard. Actually, I was a bit disappointed. In the end, they wimped out. I didn't tell them not to do it, but they decided not to, and I'm not sure if that was wisdom or not. But this is the thing. Jesus is sending them out with nothing. Right? Now, to be clear, this isn't the only time Jesus will send people out. He's going to do it again in chapter 10. He's going to send out 72 in pairs. And in Luke 22, um, he's going to do reference to sending people out again. This is just after the Garden of Gethsemane stuff. And this time he's going to say, this time you'd better take a sword and a purse. So it's not like you should always go out with nothing. Okay, clear on that? It is okay to take your sleeping bag, okay, especially when it's cold. Okay, but... I'd like you to talk to someone next to you 
Why do you think Jesus would have sent them out with nothing? Okay, another chance to have a chat. Why with nothing? Why not take a sleeping bag and a staff? Can we have a bit of feedback? Why do you think Jesus sent them out with nothing? So they can learn to rely on him? Yep. So they have to ask people for food and shelter. There's a different power. When you go out with stuff, you kind of have some power, don't you? Yep. And, and if you don't have power, then you have to connect to people around you. What else? Did we get it right in two? There is a culture of hospitality in the Middle East where, um, and in fact, if a stranger comes and you welcome them, they become part of your household. Yep. Yep. This is majorly pushing them out of their comfort zones, isn't it? Yep. And that's going to push them more. Well, let's see if it. It humbles them. They go in, they approach in a different way. Yep. It's like countercultural as well. Um, because we apply it to kind of the standard, it's like don't take your cell phone and whatever else you have on your person will try and put that aside. It's humbling and it's very countercultural for, uh, for the general culture. Yes, at the back. Yeah, how many people would love that? Mm. <laughs> how many people would hate that? Yes? Um, the um, quote shows that you don't need, like, materialistic to build a relationship with God. I think that's what's trying to come back to that because that's actually quite interesting. There's a thing in here, it's not the stuff... Jesus' focus isn't on you adding all this extra stuff to our lives. And you want to talk about countercultural. We'll talk a little bit about that. There is something here about hospitality and about actually the hospitality we're uncomfortable with. In church, we love the idea, come to my place. Well, actually, you don't really. You don't want to tidy it up. 
But when we have people to our place, we, set, we have the power and we set the agendas. You know, and, and you know, you eat the food that I've prepared, so, you know, and, and we can, we're left, we are left in that uncomfortable position where we want people to leave. How do we do that politely? But we're in a place of great power. But when you are invited to other people's houses, it's the opposite, isn't it? And I mention that partly because here we are in a school hall. We're in a different position of power to when it's our building. Well said, Jim. You've, you've, I'll, I'll cross off the next slide, okay? <laughs> Just to say that he's, it's not assumed that everything will go right for you. There is an assumption that there will be conflict, and kind of this, hey, listen, you, when you hit this stuff, don't hold on to it. Just, you know, shake it off. Some way of moving on from that. I think uh, just... So there's something in here, and I love the line about this pushes you into relationship with people. Um, I don't know who here has in... Because when I travel, I always want to make sure I have my cell phone, a charger, um, and my wallet, and then I feel like I'm okay. You know, I've got what I need. But actually, I've been travelling and had lost my bags, and uh, after that I want to make sure I have a toothbrush and a spare pair of undies. Um, <laughs> but, but when you lose everything, you are thrown on the mercy of others. And you're put in a completely different relationship with them, one that is very, very relational. Actually, we don't go out with nothing. We go out with ourselves. We go out with who we are, what we're good at. And we're better off than these guys because after, after Pentecost, we know we go out and the spirit of the living God has gone before us and will tidy up after us because God's mission is there. But as Jim pointed out, he said, look, it's not all going to be easy. They're going to have to shake the dust off the feet for some people and not hold a grudge. And he also said, no favoritism. If you stay at one person's place, then stay there. Don't upgrade. Don't, ah, oh, I've been invited to the rich person's down, uh, place down the road. Don't do that. And we laugh at it. But can you think the temptation? You've just been invited into the peasant's hovel and you've heard like now you've met a rich person who'd like to invite you to his palace. And Jesus says, no, 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 hang where you are. Yep, don't show favoritism. And off they go. And we will read when they come back later on in Luke, sometime next year, <laughs> that when Jesus said, said to them, when I sent you out with a, without a purse, bags or sandals, did you lack anything? And their answer was, Nothing. They found they didn't need all that stuff. Well, here we are in Parklands in 2019, and I see links in this story and ours. I think in a school hall we have less than we had. Moving out of our building, we're having to rely, rely on other people's hospitality. We're having to operate with less power, and I suspect it's really good for us. I think it puts us in a form of relationship. And I love the idea that we are sent into today's world with ability and with permission to use that ability. We all have that. And we get to speak the good news of the kingdom 
and we get to pray for the sick but actually to be part of the setting things right and I think that's really cool because I think we can do that I really do and I personally I'm quite excited about being in a school hall for a year I'm calling it a year building team says maybe less Bob the builder always on time I think this is an opportunity for us to explore who are we, how can we best be church together, how can we best be in our world. Um, that's what I'd kind of like to do in the next year. When we did a, a little bit of a vision tasting thing this year, we came back with a sense of the need to grow better relationships of depth with each other, not just the surface stuff, but actually to know each other's journeys more. And we came back with the same sense thinking actually when we relate to our community outside, more than the surface stuff, a need for some depth. And I think this is going to position us for some of that. So, But I did want to say a couple of things about the world we live in here now. So bear with me for a moment. We live in a world that knows less about Jesus. Um, this is a chart from including the latest census figures of um, people who've called themselves Christian and people who've called themselves none. And the, the bottom line is those who object to answering the question. Okay, um, gross figures, not percentages, and what you can see is that the number of people calling themselves none is going up, and the number of people calling themselves Christian is going down. Can you see that? Yep, pretty clear. Let's look at another one. This is the mean and median church attendance. Actually, median is, is probably better um, as a measure, and all I want you to see is that line has a slope on it. Actually, that slope has roughly been there since the 1990s little bit of variation in there. And the slope is a very gradual down. Can you see that? Uh, we're in a Baptist church. Oh, by the way, I have these because I spent a couple of days with Peter Lynham, who was professor of religious studies in New Zealand. He knows what he's on about. Um, this is looking at proportionally how big a, uh, of the nation are the... Um, do we sit... Um, the blue line is Anglican, the orange line is Presbyterian, the grey line is Methodist, and the Baptists are yellow, from which you can see Baptists have not overtaken the world. Okay. Um, but equally, um, those... Now, part of this is because there's a flood in from outside, and uh, lot, that's been a lot of Catholic um, uh, stuff in there, but can, I just, can you see the other numbers are actually quite a significant decline? They were pretty high. Um, they would say a bit of a nosedive, and they're really struggling with that. Baptists, but we too are in a decline. Okay, this is the world we're living in at the moment. Uh, and if you're feeling really terrible about this and you think that this is uh, a conspiracy, this is um, the devil out to, to knock us all, uh, perhaps so, but it's not just us. That trend is true in sports. Basically, all volunteer organisations are struggling with this at the moment. Okay, um, actually, scouts, um, cubs, yep, it, it's, this is the reality of what's going on in our society. So if you were going to ask, so I'm talking about the world that we live in, what is going on? Well, we live in a world that's getting more disconnected. In, um, between 1985 and 1991, in America, active involvement in a community organisation fell by 45%. Lots of people involved in organisations, half of them roughly, just a bit under half, stopped. There was a survey in the USA that asked people, and in 1982 they were asking people, how many people do you have in your life that you could turn to in crisis? Okay? And anyone want to guess how many people? 
1980s? Three. Three people, if the wheels really fell off, who would you go to? Three. Same question in 2004. You want to guess how many? None. That was the average answer. We live in a world that is getting more disconnected. Now, you would think with social media it would work the other way, but actually, um, here's a quote for you. Sorry, it's, it's a... Please don't take offence at this. This is somebody else who's writing this. I just thought it's quite biting. The person's writing about disconnection and how social media makes you feel connected. They said this. The difference between being online and being physically present amount is, is a bit like the difference between pornography and sex. It satisfies a basic itch, but it's never satisfying. Which is a harsh quote, but what he's trying to say is screen-mediated technology does not satisfy our deep hunger for connection. It offers a lot. I'm not trying to knock it, but it just doesn't offer that. Yep. So we live in a world that is more disconnected than it was. And, and I do want to say, um, that is where things like our craft group and our move and groove and our who let the dads out really significant in what they're trying to do. This is big stuff. One more thing. The major, you know what fuels Google? Advertising. Our world is washed with individualism and capitalism, and here is a famous photo from the Depression in America. Don't you love that? The world's highest standard of living, there's no way like the American way. And what can you tell me about the people in the car? They're all white and looking happy, looking privileged. And what about the people in the queue? Any guesses what they're queuing up for? That's a soup kitchen, mostly black. There's one white person there. Our world is flooded with advertising, and we take it so for granted we don't notice. In 1978, they did a bit of research. They um, took some kids, and they showed a set of kids they didn't show advertisements to, and then a set of kids they showed two advertisements, just two. And those two advertisements were a flash toy. Okay? And then they sat down with the kids, and they said, now you've got a choice. You can play with this set of kids, and they're going to be really fun because they're good people. Or you can play with this kid who's a bit of a troubled guy, and he's not going to be much fun, but he's got this toy. Okay? Two advertisements. That's all it took to persuade most of the kids to choose the one with the flash toy. This advertising, we, it's in the air we breathe, and what we miss from it, it is constantly saying to us that if you don't have this, the... Um, then you're a loser. It's constantly telling us that something outside of us is what we need. And it is in the air I breathe. I don't know about you, but I have it. The time you spend on trade me looking for stuff. The ads coming at you. That hunger, because we're hungry for something. And the error in this is that this is the stuff that Jesus doesn't necessarily want us to take with us. It's all outside of us. Jesus is really interested in what is inside us. The technical word is it's all extrinsic, out there. And actually, Jesus' hunger is intrinsic. So we live in a world that knows less about Jesus and a world that has more and more disconnection from people around us and a world that's constantly being told the good news in this is in the stuff that you can acquire. And in striking contrast, Jesus believes that his disciples have what they need. 
They have power and authority, ability and permission. Sent out to tell people about the kingdom of God and to set things right. And I think he believes that about us. The original Baptist churches believed that the people who best know what to do on the ground anywhere are the local people. They're the ones who can figure it out because what it looks like in America is different to here or Auckland or Southland. We're the ones who can do this. And that we could trust that we had the Spirit of God presence amongst us in prayer, in conversation, in reading the Bible, in relationship, in storytelling. That's kind of what I'd love for us to do in the year that's coming. To rethink, how can we do this well? What, are, what have we been gifted that's part of us, inside of us? And what's the task? And to be sent into a world of disconnection, a world really focused on the externals, a world of great need. What I'd like us to do, I've asked you to talk together a little bit. Um, if you're up for it, and it's okay if you're not, you can just say, hey, shall we talk instead? I'd like us to stop for a couple of minutes and pray in twos and threes. I'd like us to pray for God to work in our abilities, to give us confidence, to lead us through this, to use this time. And while we do, the music team's going to come up. We're going to have a time of worship and song. Yep, and, and I'd like us to be thinking about that. I, I, I want to say, in amongst the things of the history, um, we've got books of people's words from God, um, which I've read. I've read all the ones from the um, 80s and 90s that I can find. And many of them, I think, were words for now. I want to say that God does speak through us. I want to say that there is permission for people to do that. Yep. Some of those things may last forever. And one of the lines, I think, for Parklands was to do with um, why people humble themselves and pray. I've been reminded of that a few times. That's something that's probably quite deep for Parklands people. So I want to give opportunity for that. So, if I can have the music team come up, um, I'll, they can start playing. If you'd like, talk to someone next to you, and if you're happy to, pray. Just, and if you haven't prayed before, that's a matter of telling God, what would you long to see? If you feel like, actually, this is touching on where I'm at, then, and you're brave enough, tell the person next to you, hey, can we just bring that to God? All right?